0: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
1: Heads up, there's an acknowledgement of the existence of sex in this episode. Also, we got some responses back from our little unscientific survey last episode asking what exactly you'd like to hear from us during the coronavirus pandemic, if you wanted more stories about epidemiology, or should we just keep making the show the way we're making it now. And we do still want to hear from you. Send us a note over at outsideinradio at nhpr.org. And I just wanted to say that as of right now, we do have a whole bunch of episodes in the works that are not focused on the pandemic. So keep watching your feeds, and we'll be here. A couple of months ago, Delaney LaHood moved to New Hampshire. She's originally from the Black Hills of South Dakota, and she's pretty active.
2: Outdoor things are really big in rock climbing, skiing, and all of that.
1: But lately, she's been shifting more to hiking because of the coronavirus.
2: The consensus in the community is don't climb. It's not safe. There's lots of touching the same surfaces and equipment and that kind of thing.
1: Instead of climbing, Delaney's been looking for hikes in her new home state. And a couple of weekends ago, she picked Mount Monadnock. Again, she's new to the state, but this was maybe the worst possible mountain to have picked. It might be apocryphal, but the lore in New Hampshire is that Monadnock is the second most hiked mountain in the world behind Mount Fuji. And that's because it's a biggish mountain, and it's pretty close to some major northeastern cities. Delaney is just one of many, many people that rode in with this kind of experience, just trying to go out for a hike, escape their house, thinking it's a good way to get some exercise while being socially distant, but running into huge crowds of people.
2: As soon as we turned into the main access road, it was like, oh, we made a mistake.
3: (laughs) Hello, this is your Chill Vibes correspondent. Colin Lesk, reporting live from North County, San Diego.
4: Just an unbelievable number of cars in the parking area, like overflowing. There are these dogs, like extremely cute dogs, also hiking. Uh,
3: went surfing up in Oceanside and it was pretty busy.
4: We were just kind of like, oh, well, this is more than 50 people in one place. And then you probably pat them. And that happens to, like, every hiker who encounters the dog. So the dog's fur has been touched by, like, 12 different people. Of course,
5: we're not telling people they can't go outside and enjoy the outdoors.
6: Wow, we're in a crisis of corona and people are still catcalling right now. Now is not the time. But
5: <laughs> well, people must make smart decisions. <laughs>
3: I don't know, close to a hundred people, probably.
6: Tons of families, tons of groups.
3: A lot of people were, I think, coming from out of town as well, because Oceanside's one of the few places you can still surf.
5: Avoid all unnecessary situations that could put you or your neighbors at risk.
2: There was just kind of this continuous stream of people going in and out of the
0: outhouses, um, which is kind of like our breaking point where we're like, mm, okay, <laughs> let's go find somewhere else to go.
1: You're listening to Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans Brown. On today's show, we are addressing a question that we have seen a lot. As we're all adjusting to life with the coronavirus, the advice is to stay home and stay safe. But depending on where you are in the world, that advice gets a little blurrier when it comes to exercise and outdoor recreation. Is it safe to go outside? Is it safe to go on a hike in the woods? What about a neighborhood in the city? Where do you draw the line? And how do you make this decision for yourself and for your community? With me, virtually, to help mold these questions are producers
6: Justine Paradise, Hey, hey! I think it's mole over. I don't think it's mole. Is it? It's not just mole the question. It's just not like mold cider. I...
1: <laughs> if I have been using that wrong my whole life, I would be unsurprised. Well, I don't know. Also, also producer Jimmy Gutierrez. Jimmy, what are you mulling?
2: I, I have no comment on this. In these times, I'll find something to mull.
6: So my my big question here was like, as we as we consider like how to go outside. During the pandemic, like what do we actually know about the novel coronavirus? Like how easily does it actually transmit outside?
3: People have a zillion questions. How long do I wash my my lettuce? What if it's windy? All that stuff. And they're all totally understandable questions. Um, But so far, they kind of are more the stuff of philosophers than physicians.
6: We spoke to two experts on this question. The first is Tim Leahy. He's an infectious disease doctor and an ethicist at the University of Vermont Medical Center, and he kind of gave the same advice we've been hearing.
3: Stay six feet away and wash your hands.
6: And the second was
1: Dr. Lisa Adams, a doctor and researcher at Dartmouth who's also on New Hampshire's COVID-19 task force, who told me something I had heard and repeated that sunlight kills coronavirus is probably not true.
3: I don't expect that the ultraviolet light that we get on a sunny day to have much of um, an impact.
1: She did, however, tell me that one study I had heard about, which found that the virus could survive in airborne particles for up to three hours, she said that was really in a laboratory
3: setting. But the clinical relevance of this finding is still unclear. It it certainly seems theoretically possible, but thankfully does not appear to be the main mechanism for transmission.
1: So you probably don't need to worry that people's breath lingering on a trail hours later will get you sick, which is something I've genuinely heard friends saying that they're worried about. But she says if people are out and exercising and breathing hard.
3: Now, I do remind people that that six foot uh, distance guideline is a minimum distance. Um, So feel free to give a wider berth when you are passing people that you don't live with. And of course, the
6: best guidance is to stay home as much as possible.
1: Like it can't hurt to give them a little extra
6: space. But of course, some of this information is all changing really fast, which is why when I asked Tim what we know, I was actually like, so it's March 27th. What do we know today?
3: I like that you specify the date because it could well change over the next 24 hours. Uh, what we know so far is that uh, COVID 19 is definitely transmitted through coughs and sneezes and probably hand to hand. We also know that it can survive for days on certain surfaces, including cardboard exactly what you can get away with and what you can't is evolving a little bit, but some common sense guidance has come out.
6: I've been hearing from people because we're in New Hampshire. um, It's about a couple hours from Boston. Um, People have a lot of time on their hands. Some people are not working. And so some of the trailheads are really busy. Um, Are these possible transmission sites, you know, when you're in a parking lot with 50 cars and there's an outhouse?
3: Yeah. uh, That's a great example of the kind of thing that seems on a surface level to be fine. Hey, I'm just going for a hike. But really that feels to me like you're in a crowd (laughs) or feels to me like you're in a place that's really high traffic. And so, uh, the likelihood that you're going to be touching the same railing that somebody else is touching is pretty high. And that's exactly what the stay at home order is meant to prevent. So I figure, uh, what you really want to think about is not the name of the activity, is it hiking, but really exactly how likely it is to put you in a crowd or touching a surface that somebody else is going to touch pretty soon after that.
1: And one of the places where this is playing out, like we where we are seeing crowds, is out on the Appalachian Trail.
4: Our trail in particular, because the Appalachian Trail is really within a couple hours drive of more than half of the population of the United States, um, we were just... Inundated with people.
1: This is Sandy Mara. She's the president and CEO of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and, and the Conservancy is this organization that sort of manages and protects the AT, which is, you know, it's a historic footpath, goes over two thousand miles from Georgia up to Maine, um, and and is in like this funny middle ground of being like privately created, but then sort of handed over to the federal government.
6: Yeah, the Park Service manages it. Yeah,
1: right. So on March 23rd, the AT Conservancy put out a statement asking people, please stay off the Appalachian Trail. And, and I talked to her the next day.
4: It's been an evolution. Um, I think back to actually an interview I gave last week where I was still talking about the value of the trail in allowing folks to go out, you know, for a day hike and bring their kids out to run for an hour.
1: But Sandy said, and, and Delaney saw this too, that as things close, like as there are more people just hanging out with more free time on their hand the amount of people getting outside was just totally overwhelming
4: the trails always had hot spots as far as as overuse to key areas mcafee knob in southern virginia um, certain iconic spots up through the whites and into new hampshire and maine what we found building um, over the last week and through the weekend was that not only were those hot spots at or above what could be their worst day in you know, the perfect summer day, but that we were also seeing disbursement to other areas that traditionally were not considered hotspots also reaching capacity and beyond.
6: This narrative is like Tragedy of the Commons coronavirus version.
1: This is why I'm really glad that we got Tim Leahy on the phone, because I saw Tim quoted in the New York Times last week, and he had this analogy that I found really helpful when thinking about the risk of going outside.
3: In HIV prevention work, we realized early on that waggling your finger at people and blaming them for engaging in any risk behavior is counterproductive. You know, if If I'm at risk of HIV transmission and somebody tells me just don't have sex ever again, my most likely reaction to that is going to be to reject their advice as totally not livable, particularly Mm. if they say that with kind of a judgmental tone of voice. So they're like, well, why don't you just stop? You know what I mean?
6: Yeah. And when I talked with Tim, he, he said that in public health, they learned that there are better ways to help people reduce their risk of, you know, say in this example, HIV transmission.
3: So if I knew that maybe there are three or four different sexual activities that I participate in that could transmit HIV or could lead me to acquire HIV, uh, and I explore with my clinician... Uh, some of them that are higher risk than others and learn that perhaps one of them is feels kind of optional to me, like maybe I like to do it, but I'm okay with not. Well, then that might be something I could stop doing in a way that lowers the risk of HIV transmission and is totally fine with me. So you can imagine this is the case with COVID-19 uh, because uh, blame and shame doesn't work super well. But if we can say, um, uh, if we can sort of explore alternate lower risk, approaches then that can help
1: yeah so so this is what I liked like you can think of outdoor activities as like this escalating scale of risk But I think this is also what leads us to the packed trailheads, because if like the least risky thing is probably to just hang out on your back porch by yourself, but like if that's driving you crazy, then it seems like okay you can go for a walk out on the street, and if that's okay, then it's like okay you can take a short drive to go for a walk somewhere, and then then, like if that's okay, it's okay to go out to a hiking trail. But then like once you drive two hours to a trailhead, it's really hard to turn around and go home when there're like two hundred cars there. And so that's that's what's tricky. It's like hard to draw a stark line.
6: Yeah, and that's why this analogy really only works to a point.
3: If you're making a decision about acceptable risk of HIV transmission, your decision only affects you and a consenting sex partner. And so, you know, both of you have some responsibility in there for that adult decision. On the other hand, with COVID-19, my decision to go outside and just hang out downtown with my friends affects not only my risk of contracting COVID-19 and perhaps my friends' risks, be consenting adults in this analogy, but also it might affect the safety of that nice 75-year-old grandma who lives around the corner and was not part of that decision.
2: I I like this idea of of bending and not breaking, like what is going to make this tolerable uh, given that we really don't, have a timeline on what this thing is. You know, people are looking for it. Is this going to be weeks? Is it going to be months? Um, is it going to go into the fall? But, but also, like, even within that analogy, it just something. It just doesn't feel it's 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 unclear to me. Specifically, like, what can and can't we do?
1: Right. Like, and this is what makes this hard. Like, there is space to make judgment calls. Like, at my house, we have we have a trail out our back door, and and those local trails. I mean, there's, like, slightly more people on them. It's, like, up from seeing basically zero people on most days to seeing some. But still, our relative risk on those trails is pretty low.
6: You posted a picture on Instagram this morning of your daily visit to the porcupine den. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say I feel pretty guilty posting about how nice our local woods are right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, so I live in Manchester, which is... I mean, it's a a city. It qualifies as a city. It's a New Hampshire city. It's not big, maybe a little over like a hundred thousand people. And uh, I don't come into contact with porcupines, um, but there there is this basketball court that I've hit up a couple times over this past week. Um, and the the last time I was there, uh, I met this kid on the court, and his name was Seth Sherman.
5: Yeah, I don't know if they're gonna close
2: off the the courts and stuff, but if they do, that's gonna suck. Honestly. And I I kind of felt bad because there were a couple times, uh, you know, he was on one side of the court, I was on the other, and his ball would brick off of the rim and come to my side of the court. And usually I would just pick it up and toss it back to him. But I'm thinking Corona the whole time. And so I kicked it back to him, <laughs> uh, which is extremely rude, but my hands are safe.
6: Yeah, what you all are demonstrating here is that part of the reason it's hard to give general advice is obviously because this is a profoundly different experience for people in rural areas versus people in cities.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, I think like at the same time I feel like drawing the the city versus country divide is is leading into some real ugliness.
1: Which we should talk about. Should we talk about that? Yeah. I don't know, you think we should talk, talk about, about that. that? Maybe after a break.
2: Should we take a Should Let's we take, take a break? A break. <laughs> break.
1: Welcome back to Outside In. I'm Sam Evans-Brown with Jimmy Gutierrez and Justine Paradise joining me from our respective home recording studios asking a question. Is it okay to go outside during the coronavirus pandemic? It's imperative that
5: everybody stay safe, but people must make smart decisions and stay at home and keep using
1: smart social distancing as much as possible. This is a press conference with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu on March 23rd.
5: Of course, we're not telling people they can't go outside and enjoy the outdoors, go on walks and hikes while practicing common sense social distancing. You can continue to do so, but please practice smart decision making and avoid all unnecessary situations that could put you or your
1: neighbors at risk
6: uh Jimmy say'm what do you what do you think you're being told with this message <laughs> i
1: I hear this, and I think it is still safe to like go for a run still safe to go for a bike ride, like maybe you could go for a hike, just don't hike with other people. Uh, And yeah, like, like going outside is okay.
2: Yeah, there's just really nothing like dire about it, right? It's like, it just leaves a lot up to the individual, which clearly isn't working. That's not clear enough. And based on like what we're seeing here in New Hampshire, and, and with people out there, You just have to tell them to, like, stop doing this. Stop going to Mount Monadnock, please.
1: Yeah, so, like, in
2: New York City,
1: for instance, the advice was very clear. It's like, stay indoors unless maybe you have to walk the dog for a little bit so it doesn't poop in your apartment. And it is...
6: Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip
2: to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness, really, I found transformative.
6: Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to Hmm. eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. (laughs) Join me, Laleh Aracoglu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: true that there are probably some places that are riskier than others to go outside like the bigger the city you're in the more surfaces there are the more interactions you're going to have with random people and you probably should have different advice than in a really rural place and so it gets this like this this really understandable impulse that people are are wanting to get out of the city and out like into the mountains and it's just that behavior it's it's one level of risk if you're doing it just by yourself but it's a whole different story if like the whole eastern seaboard is doing it.
6: And what I want to talk about here is to what degree this rhetoric about, you know, city folks fleeing to rural areas and putting people there in danger is to what degree does this, you know, kind of smell like class or racial coding that we we do see in different contexts?
1: Right. Well, and there's like a certain amount of of just like straight up xenophobic language that I've seen in relation to people coming from outside of a community into another one that might be sort of more desirable. And so even even though like I might agree with the advice of of stay home, I also just find that type of language really off-putting.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean it just it just minimizes a lot of people's experiences like it's not safe for a lot of people to stay home. Um some people may have a lot more people in their homes than other people uh the ability to be cooped up. Um in places where there's like concentrated poverty uh, isn't necessarily a thing. Accessibility to the outdoors, maybe someone who doesn't travel or hike a lot or or recreate a lot outside, doesn't know off beaten Pass and only knows Mount Monadnock. And so this was like a big deal for them. Uh, So yeah, you're seeing, I think a lot of inequity and especially when it comes to um, the medical field, I think there's a lot of distrust in communities of color too when it comes to like, oh, this is what you should be doing Um, And now we're showing up for you. Uh, So it's just like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of dynamics at play uh, to try to break this down in in equity terms.
6: When you say crowded apartments, um, you know, there was a post going around on social media that was saying, you know, it's actually, it's really dangerous for people now who are maybe in domestic situations, who might be in, you know, a a relationship that is or turns abusive. Um, Your options are just so much more limited. Absolutely. to get out of your apartment.
2: And I mean especially for children. I mean that's the you know the same thing here.
1: Yeah, and so it's just like it it feels unfair for someone in my position to to tell someone who's stuck in a 500 square foot apartment in New York City to oh hey, just stay local. I mean like that just sucks.
6: Right, but that's not quite the whole story, right? Because there are a lot of like well-to-do or at least pretty comfortable people leaving the city for their like second homes on Cape Cod and Nantucket and the Vineyard, and even in Maine, the island of North Haven actually shut down the ferry to non-residents, which is you know it's a move they've since reversed. But this isn't quite like a xenophobic thing exactly, or at least there's another element to it. Like on Nantucket, um, there's just like a handful of ventilators and a year-round population of seventeen thousand people, so. you're going there you're actually not safer and you're kind of making it more dangerous for the people that live there and um in new hampshire that's happened too. the the resort town of waterville valley um, put out a statement recently asking second homeowners to please stay away
1: yeah yeah And, and like if you read the responses on the facebook post there there's there's some real vitriol there it says like you know like we the second homeowners we're the backbone of your economy
2: Ooh, yikes yeah
1: It's like, how dare you tell us to stay away? And I have to say, it's like it's this real mean streak that gets revealed in a time
4: like this. Unfortunately, these kinds of events, I think, really expose pretty quickly the failures of our overall, you know, the fabric of our society overall in protecting the more vulnerable.
1: That's Sandy Mara again, the CEO of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy.
4: I mean, hiking has always been somewhat of a um, a privileged activity. It takes money for gas to get to the trailheads. It takes generally money for gear. So I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't think the outdoors unfortunately has ever been as much of a uh, refuge for those in really significant need as it could be. Um, and I don't think necessarily that that's who's taking it, it now. I think it's folks that, that just are used to, you know, being comfortable and they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it.
1: I mean, I think it's totally true that there's a ton of entitlement in in the outdoors community and people who are, who are used to being able to go for a hike whenever they want. I mean, like Tuckerman Ravine, which is this backcountry skiing spot in New Hampshire, it was packed this weekend. It was over 400 people is what I saw. And finally, they did wind up closing it down today, like right before we published. But before they did, I was reading an Instagram post from the snow rangers telling people to stay home. And there are all of these responses saying like, I have to go snowboarding for my mental health. And it's like,
6: like, do you though? Really? Yeah. Is there any alternative for you? Like
2: walking.
1: And the other thing is that, like, when you're headed out into the backcountry, like, it might might be that you feel like you'll be fine, but there's a lot that you can't predict. Like, what if you twist your ankle? Like, you don't have to be new to hiking to accidentally hurt yourself and wind up needing a rescue.
4: I just got an article in The Washington Post today that they had to do a helicopter rescue off what's called the Billy Goat Trail, which is a, an urban trail that's part of the C&O Canal um, National Park. And Washington is an area that already is starting to really feel the strain on its emergency response and hospitals because of the virus.
6: Yeah, um, this happened in New Hampshire, too. On on March 30th, the governor issued a stay-at-home executive order, which did clarify that the government wanted all non-essential businesses to close, but it still allowed a provision for outdoor recreation and exercise.
1: Which I still think a lot of people who love the outdoors, they read that, and they're like, yeah, it's still like fine to go and drive to the mountains.
6: Right, and and then on the same day that Sinunu issued that stay-at-home order, New Hampshire Fish and Game also posted three press releases about missing hikers, and one was a rescue um, of a 60-year-old hiker who had traveled from out of state to climb Mount Monadnock. And it was the same thing. At the end of the press release, they said, "Look, the, the first responders coming to save you up there are having to abandon social distancing to do that, and that's another strain on a healthcare system that's you know already overburdened in some ways."
1: Right, and so like that's kind of what you get with. When there's not clarity from public officials on like what's okay, what's not okay?
6: I'm trying to decide what we're going to try to say to our listeners who are asking <laughs> us, like, can I go to the mountain? Can I walk around my block? Um because yeah. I, I feel so uncomfortable giving any kind of I think we're trying to avoid giving any sort of prescriptive announcement, but just like how to think through it, I, th- I think um, might be what we're going to go for. Like, um, mm. I don't know. What are, you, what are you telling like your family and friends? Like, can I go outside?
3: <laughs> I think that's, that, I, I like the way you put it, that it's a way of thinking through it. And so the way I think about it is one, do you have to, or is there some other way that you could, you know, uh, get your heebie-jeebies out, you know, get to get on the exercise bike and feel just as happy. Or as today, that day, you got to find some way to get some sunshine in your face. And that, that feels to me like a reasonable thing to ask yourself. Yeah. Then I think the question is, how can I do this in a way that is going to make it so that that nice 75 year old grandma around the corner is least likely to be endangered? And so what are the ways I could do this that are safer? So Could I find some place that's not crowded? Could I find some place that makes sure that I can stay away from other people? Can I make sure that I do this so that it's kind of like I go out, I do the walk, I don't see anybody, I don't need to go to the bathroom out there, and then I come back and I go home.
1: So for Delaney, who went to Mount Monadnock in search of social distancing.
2: We uh, ended up driving about 20 minutes away to this much more secluded spot, there were like Three other cars there and had a really nice day hiking. And
6: yeah, so I noticed that you're not uh, revealing the name of the trailhead that you actually went to.
0: <laughs> no, but I do, de- I definitely feel like um, right now our
2: solution is really just to go find less traveled areas, and that's been really fun. We've gone to a couple now um, and just kind of dig deeper and find
0: discover places that are less traveled and less people,
6: no facilities, no bathrooms. Um, And that's been really nice, honestly. And so like where we're kind of landing is like, for now, sort of like find local walks.
3: Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you, that is what I have done. You know, I I, uh, have gone outside, but I've gone outside places that sort of meet those criteria so that I can come back home with a good conscience
6: yeah I mean, I think that um, my final thought here is still that you know, keep it local. It's good advice, but it's also advice that probably isn't gonna work for everyone, like there are places in the country where it probably is pretty risky to go outside um
1: yeah and and I'd say that, like for everybody who's in a situation like that, like we're pulling for you
2: well i think I think it's also just the the fact of like you know, that you have a crisis like this, it exposes inequity. You know, we can talk about all of these, all of, you know, these topics and how to stay safe and what and what not to do. But at the same time, like, let's not forget the fact that this inequity shows up in times of crisis. And also when there are, you know, in chill times, when things are just, you know, quote unquote normal for folks. And it's just something to keep at front of mind, um, not something that should just be brought up Um, and considered at a time of crisis.
1: Outside In was produced this week by Justine Paradise with help from me, Sam Evans-Brown, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Taylor Quimby. This is Jimmy Gutierrez's last show with Outside In. He is returning home to Milwaukee. I have to say... I am gutted by Jimmy's departure. And everybody who doesn't already, you should be following Jimmy because whatever he gets up to is gonna be really fun and exciting. Uh, and also, he is really fun to drag uh, pretty much day in and day out. Uh, he's just a great presence. And I am really sad that he's not gonna be in the office anymore. See you, bud. Thank you to Dr. Jeffrey Van Wingen, Jessica Hunt, and to everyone who sent us recordings of their walks, Colin Lesk, Megan Tan, Sarah Gibson, and Erica Janik, who is, by the way, also our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is director of Not Putting on Pants in 23 Days. Music in this episode came from Uncle Bibby and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
6: So we're, we're coming up to the trail we're hoping to go on. The trail we're hoping isn't too busy. It's looking good. Two cars? Two. Two's good. Which way should we go? Uh, whatever,
4: whatever you want. You lead. This is my favorite part of the trail. Feels like we're out west or something. Like jagged rocks. Water's like rushing over
6: it. We're kind of above it in the hemlocks.
4: I don't know. Feels different than a lot of the other trails in town. I really like coming here.